Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Here they are then, all seven of them, and I will read them out as well for all you podcast fans. Instantly, this programme is available as a weekly podcast, downloadable uh, Sunday afternoons. An hour as well, if you find two and a half hours a bit long for your taste. Right, here we go. First, Enable next. Where should she go next, Lee? What, what should they do with her? I would love it if they kept her in training. And whilst I thought there was zero chance of that happening at Longchamp last Sunday, there's just a little bit of hope now, I think. John Gosden um, was saying yesterday, definitely no champion sakes, so he won't be seeing her at Ascot. He didn't sound keen on the Breeders' Cup either. Um, then he said he was waiting to be told rather cryptically. Okay, okay, waiting to be told. Um, I don't imagine she'd be going to Japan or Hong Kong or anywhere like that. So really, it seems as though it's Breeders' Cup retirement or race on. And listen, Frankie on, on ITV on Saturday morning was clearly saying, I love it if she stays in training. No surprise there. No surprise, <laughs> no surprise there. John Gosden um, earlier in the season said he thought it would be greedy if they kept going with her. Yeah, I quote. It would, perhaps greedy, but you have to balance that against the fact that um, the Prince is clearly a man now who, who loves to race his horses. He's, listen, he, he's not a young man, so he, he probably wants to enjoy racing his horses. And also, if you're being completely greedy, they're not going to get another chance to win a, to have a triple arc winner. Mm-hmm. They still have a chance while she's in training. So you never know. But at some point, Megan, you've got to decide when is, when is enough enough. What would you do? I think if she was mine, I'd call it a day now. Um, she's had an incredible career. I don't think she... As they've said, she doesn't owe anyone anything. Um, you know, Prince Khalid Abdullah has got some really exciting horses coming through. Um, and as much as I'm sure Frankie would love to ride her, he's, he's got a pretty good book of rides yeah. in behind. Um, and I, I just think if she doesn't go, like you say, she's not going to go to Ascot, might not go to the Breeders' Cup, is it worth going for another season? I'm not sure. You get the last word, Fergus, though. You've only got about seven seconds. If I owned her, I'd be retiring her. But I know what's better for racing. There you are. Winks right until she was seven. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, See, it works. Either. You don't need more than yeah. two minutes. Longines rankings. Uh, these are great, these world rankings. <laughs> because every time they're published, they just have the effect of winding people up, which is quite good sport. But I don't see anything wrong with this. One, two, eight, crystal ocean enable... Well, guys, difficult to see how the handicappers could have done much different, Fergus, isn't it? Yeah, that looks, you know, looks right to me anyway. Um, Wild guys, one to eight, enable Crystal Ocean. I mean, there's not a lot between them. There are people who will say that Beauty Generation should be above all of them, I would think, based on his Hong Kong exploits. Yeah, and he still has a chance of enhancing that rating, doesn't he? He made a really uh, pleasing return recently. I mean, this is this is like Brexit to racing fans. <laughs> um, it, it gets, it, it, but I suppose unlike Brexit, this doesn't really matter a huge deal. It's it, in some ways, it's it should be a fun thing as we debate which horse deserves to get a higher number than another one. But it does irate a lot of people when certain horses are, they think, over-promoted or, or under-appreciated. Um, a bit like you. I mean, I think on what we've seen so far, there's been nothing between Crystal Ocean, Enable and Wargeist when they've met in independent two group ones. So far, you could say it's, it's a slight fudge. The handicappers will get together in Hong Kong in December and they'll decide if they want a three-way go for glory where they can find a way of nudging one of those up, unless Beauty Generation helps them out 
by winning the Hong Kong Mile in ridiculous fashion. And handicappers use a combination of form and times and race standards to compile a mark. They do it in good faith. These are official ratings in, yeah. in Britain anyway, the ones at the top, Valgeist, Enable yeah. and, uh, and Crystal Ocean in Britain, yeah. France and Ireland. Uh, but we have the same thing over jumps, don't we? I mean, your dad's or surname is rated higher than Altior which winds everybody up because Altior's won his last 18 races and everyone loves him. It's the same with Enable. She won all these races everyone loves. doesn't necessarily mean that she's produced the best performance. Bring on Ascot for us. <laughs> We're going to prove it's right. <laughs> When's this happening? November the... Mm, good question. Is it about the third week in November? Right, and is this is the right? two and a half race at Ascot. Two and a half miler, yes. isn't it, between Altior and Cerno? Yes. Yes, bring it on. Bring it on. He's in great form. We'll come back to that later. I'm not going to leave that there. <laughs> IFHA, International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities, annual conference in Paris this week. Lots of outspoken comments from John Gosden, the cricket head, about sorting out medication around the world in jurisdictions, mainly in America. But also, most pertinently, I think, Lee Tracy Crouch, the former yeah. sports minister, um, firing a warning shot across racing, racing's bowels as regards getting their welfare messaging right. It's more of the same, really, isn't it? It is more of the same. Um, but I think what she said underlined how important this for the sport. The IFHA um, at a subsequent meeting determined that equine welfare has to be their number one priority. In some ways that should go without saying. Really. There mm. should never be anything bigger in the sport than equine welfare. But what Tracy Crouch said was relevant and I think it was relevant because a lot of people take the view that this is a very insular debate and that nobody really is interested in, in equine welfare, racehorse welfare apart from people in racing who just talk amongst themselves and create a problem. Tracy Crouch was saying that she finds the best barometer of what people are interested in is what comes into her post bag mm. um, as, an, as an MP. And she said that there has increasingly been correspondence said to her from people raising concerns about animal welfare and about the welfare of racehorses. And I think there is nothing wrong, in fact there's everything to be applauded, um, if the sport goes on the front foot and does emphasise all that it's doing, which it, and it does do a huge amount. I think the, the, the problem are occasionally we create problems for ourselves. There were horrible headlines in Australia again this week relating to Darren, Darren Weir, Weir. That's shocking. Who was their one of the worst trainer, stories I've seen. Top trainer who has been accused, and there's video evidence of uh, one of his staff using a jigger, an electronic prod device on horses, one who ran in last year's Melbourne Cup. And I've written for my column in the Racing Post tomorrow. One of the joint favourites for the Melbourne Cup this year is trained by a guy called Paul Proiska, who had a four-year ban for using a jigger. That will be a priceless gift to organisations who are trying to stop or curtail horse racing in Australia. And I would only add to that, that the bell's gone, that every country in the world needs to support each other, not to try and knock spots off each other, because yeah. this, this is an issue that pertains to every single major racing jurisdiction, and there's no good pointing the finger and saying, you do it wrong, you're all on drugs, you all use cattle prods, you all do this, you all do that, you haven't got enough prize money. It's time for the sport to become more international in its welfare messaging because these organisations that oppose horse racing are not confined within borders of particular countries. Anyway, rant over on my part. Uh, we need to look after the equine um, heroes of the sport. We need to look after the human heroes of the sport. Uh, Megan Nichols, uh, you, you wanted to talk a little about facilities for jockeys, facilities particularly for, for female jockeys because there are more of you now and we need to get our act together. <laughs> um, yeah, look, the race courses um, recently have have been doing a great, you know, great job. A lot of them have um, renovated and 
new buildings and all sorts, um, there are still a few tracks that are quite far behind. Mm -hmm. um, there's more girls riding. Um, we want to be on level terms. And, you know, the likes of having our own sauna and more room, not just three pegs. We need, you know, mm -hmm. more like 13 pegs sometimes. Um, and it is getting better. Um, but not only, obviously, the changing rooms, they've, they've done a lot to the canteens as well. Um, and I know a few years ago, Cathy Gannon got told off for tweeting a picture of the, um, the food, food yeah. at Newbury. But sort of actually it, it probably gave them um, a bit of a push forward in the right direction and it a lot lot of courses have got an awful lot better um, and it is crucial uh, but there are still some who need to work on there there is a few that fall behind I think isn't there well Getting since I've been away it looks like it's moving in the right direction you know I've noticed you know not riding here last year coming back there's there's been a lot of new renovations and stuff, so it looks like it's heading in the right direction. But where you've got a situation where, you, you, for example, you end up having to walk through a male change room to get to your... That's clearly unacceptable. Uh, yeah, times are obviously changing now. Um, I guess you know, I've been riding for a couple of years, so I'm kind of used to it. Um, but, you know, some of the girls that are coming in having their first rides, they're absolutely petrified to walk in there. It's, it's not an nice intimidating environment. It is intimidating, of course. Um, canteens now are often actually in a separate room rather than you know going through the the lads changing rooms which is obviously a lot better but um there is still that element of we do have to go through and i think i what they're trying to do is making it more an option so if you want to go in there to speak to a valet or a various jockey or whatever you can but i don't think like they want it so that you have to go through Sense. Yeah, no, I think I think there's some work to be done, and um, hopefully, the more feedback you can give, and other senior female riders will give in due course, then I think the sport should respond accordingly. Definitely, it's getting loads better. Uh, this is a, an important talking point. It, to, this week marks the announcement of the uh, moving on from entry race course of Andrew Tullock, who's been the clerk of the course there for over 20 years, and has seen some extraordinary changes in the world's most famous horse race and has presided over a, a great period of change and has stabilised the ship in many respects. He's done great work. This is going to be a very, very, very big role to fill, Lee. Yeah, it is. Um, I think if you were looking at the, the job of clerking, um, you, you could argue that the, the, the Cheltenham is the most prestigious, Ascot perhaps the most lucrative, the, the Derby the most demanding because of the t contours of Epsom. But I don't think there's one more important no. than the one that Andrew Tullock has been For doing. For all the reasons we've just been talking about. Yeah, because there, there is one race in the whole year when you can pretty much guarantee that the nation will take an interest in horse racing, and that is the Grand National. It's, 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 it's far and away more important than anything else in terms of the public perception of horse racing. And Andrew Tullock has been there for far longer than a lot of people realise, and he's done a superb job um, in conjunction with the rest of the entry team and in conjunction with BHA in, I think, giving the Grand National um, a future. I think at, at yeah. one point the Grand National seemed to be a race that was in real jeopardy and real peril we all remember how sombre things were um, not that long ago but we've had um, we've had a we had a run of Grand Nationals without fatalities and I think now when something does happen people acknowledge all the work that Aintree and the BHA have done yeah. with the race and I think he goes on to a new job, staying on at Aintree as a consultant, but he deserves a real pat on the back and congratulations and thanks from the sport.
I mean, and you'll know with runners in the Grand National every year from, from your stable how the extent to which that race is scrutinised more than any other. And there's pr- people who probably be ring you up who are friends of yours who don't have no interest in the sport once a year. No, oh, for sure. Oh, what chances have yours got in the Grand yeah. National as much as everyone else? <laughs> um, but our horses always come back, you know, in top condition. They do a very, very good job. Um, you know, I think what they've done in the um, unsettling enclosure now with, you know, all the fans and the, and the new setup there has, has made a huge difference. Um, often the horses obviously come back quite, you know, they're tired and dehydrated and, and, and that new development has has completely changed um you know, the way some of the horses can recover and, and come back from it. It's made a massive difference and fair play to him. Yeah, big shoes to fill, for sure. Uh, Andrew Tullock and the work he's done at Aintree over the last, well, quarter of a century, I think it is nearly. Uh, funding of the sport is always an issue. It has become more of an issue this year uh, because of the shop closures, uh, media rights payments coming down accordingly, and also because of an unexpected, well, unforeseen levy shortfall. So, uh, the Racing Partnership and Racecourse Media Group have come up with a a new idea, Lee, and it's not gone down great with the bookmakers. We've been no, here before. No, it's not gone down great with the bookmakers, and predictably it's not done great with the bookmakers because they want to get more money from from bookmakers. Um, in a nutshell, I think they want to move, um, Bill Barber, my colleague, reported this week, towards uh, a system, in effect, whereby bookmakers are paying um, in relation to their turnover on, on, on online bets on horse racing. Um, the, the, a system based on Profits, racing receiving, in effect, what bookmakers get from profits on horse racing, is jeopardised by the fact that if bookmakers view horse racing on occasions as almost like a lost leader mm. and operate to very mm-hmm. tight margins, enable fifty to one for the art. Absolutely, yes. it therefore follows that racing's um, income from those margins is going to be reduced. Moving towards a turnover model um, seems. To I think to race courses, I think will seem to a lot of people a fairer way of doing that, and you're not uh, you're not in danger of um, being victimised by, by by say by by loss leading or by results. Um, race courses are though in a, in the middle of a of a potential firestorm. In the, on the one hand, they are going to be annoying bookmakers with this, but they're also potentially going to be almost certainly going to be annoying horsemen. Because as shops close and as um, the income that racecourses receive from betting shops dwindles, inevitably prize money is going to suffer. We we had a hint of that again this week from you're in a racing company, and crucially from Chelmsford, a racecourse that has been acknowledged by horsemen to be doing all it can on prize money, but even it has said it sees problems in the near future. How much did prize money? How much did you take any notice of prize money and how much did it form a part of your business model, business plan when you were riding? It's, it means everything. Um, you know, that, that percentage of the prize money is, is, um, is your riding check, isn't it? I mean, okay, your riding fees, one thing, but, um, you know, you, you, do, you do definitely notice when you win some nice races, you know, it makes a massive difference to your check. So you're always keeping half an eye on that. Yeah. Um, are you finding the same? Well, you know, the the big races are the ones you want to be riding mm, in. Sure. Um, definitely. And, you know, but in like, terms of your lifestyle, how big a, how big a deal is, is is prize money relative to? Well, obviously, it's um, you know that's our living effectively. So you know, the the better the prize money, you know, that the better it is obviously for us. Um, like you say, 
Chelmsford have always been very good, um, especially for the level of races sometimes that are held there. Mm. And so, you know, it's, it, it will make a difference. Okay, and finally, uh, we are bringing you part of the broadcast today, or have brought you part of the broadcast from Tattersall Sales, which saw some explosive numbers in book one. Um, the man who is every sales company's best friend, Lee Mosshead, <laughs> is part of the panel this morning. So it's only right you should finish off by saying, right, so how your, your investigation into sales practices, how big an impact has it had, do you think, and can you see any meaningful impact in terms of what the sales houses are doing to root that out, move forward, etc.? And there's definite progress being made. Um, Justin Felice, former top uh, policeman, um, produced his report this year following extensive investigations and interviews and it acknowledged that the the majority of people who frequent sales rings behave honorably but there is a problem there is a problem of unethical behavior of potential criminal behavior that has largely gone on without um, with those who conduct it having any fear of um, being uh, punished for it Felice made a lot of recommendations in a report which, helpfully, uh, a copy of which found its way into my Amazing possession. Amazing, that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I and the Racing Post wrote about it, and we supported the report. The industry, I believe, used the leaking of the report as a way of trying to uh, slow the pace on reform and has so far been conducting meetings without the BHA in those meetings. I applaud the industry for having done what it's done so far. It's, it's been talking like an industry that acknowledges now the need for change and is moving towards change. But the BHA has to be involved. One of Felice's key recommendations and key observations was well, at the minute the bloodstock sales scene is in effect an unregulated industry. Given the amount of money that's involved in that industry, it cannot be an unregulated industry. The BHA or some sort of ombudsman has to be involved so that the the code of silence that has too long existed is eradicated. It, as a as a journalist, this is this was a, a great scoop to get a copy of this. Yeah. And obviously, if I'd been in your position, I would have done exactly what you had yeah. done and published the findings because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Is there any piece of you that thinks, hang on a minute, if they hadn't leaked that to me? or whoever leaked it to you, leaked it to you. If I hadn't been the recipient of that leak and I hadn't published the story, they would actually be in a better position in terms of cooperation between the BHA and, and the bloodstock industry. I take the view that some in the industry, and only some, have used it as a smokescreen. I think, the, I think what's helpful from, from the leaking and what we, what we ran was we laid out in the public domain where it should have been and where it should be uh. all that Felice found and all that he recommended. And my hope is that as the industry now debates what to do going forward, it knows that everybody else knows what he found and what he recommended. And we can judge and mark off what they do against what he recommended that they do. So do you think if you hadn't been leaked to the report, it wouldn't have been fully published? I would fear I would have feared how much was published. And don't forget, at the minute nothing has been published. I wrote a piece two weeks ago saying that what needs to happen now for everybody's benefit 
given that the industry is quite rightly and should be applauded for it, talking about the need for transparency, mm. there is a report that was published, a BHA Commission report that was published, that key figures in the industry have seen. Everybody now needs to see that. I believe yeah. the BHA is minded to publish. I can see why they've not published it uh, on the cusp of the major yielding sales season. Yeah. But once that's done, that report that we've written about in the Racing Post, that I've seen and key industry stakeholders have seen, has to be in the public domain. There is no logical argument for it not being in the public domain. Okay, I'm getting into trouble because we've now got two minutes over the clock, but it's my fault because <laughs> it was your story and your piece and we're at the sales and it was too important to leave it at two minutes, so cut. thank you. Um, Right, that's it for this week's Talking Points. He's going absolutely mad, and we will be back after this. <laughs> Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai.